1 John 1, 5 to 10. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. I want to take you back to 1984. I was in year seven. It's two weeks into high school. Now, two weeks into high school, I I wonder if you can remember it. That's the time when all the groups are just starting to form. So the cool kids are all trying to figure out who's the coolest from the local schools, and the smart kids are all battling over who's going to be the smartest, and everyone is nervous. And that, that time, I was sitting with all of my new mates in our hang. At the entrance high school, the place where you put your bag was called a hang. And we all sat there in our hang, and I unwrapped my lunch, and I had one of those terrible school lunch moments. I discovered that the orange that I'd put into my lunchbox was rotten. It was one of those kind of stealth rotten oranges where the outside is all, it's all beautiful and, and firm and orange. And the inside, when I opened it up, was just this pussy, filthy grey colour. As I sat there cursing my orange, my best mate AIDS stabbed me in the back. He dared me to sky my orange. Now, I was 13. And more than that, I was stupid. But more than that, I was scared. Because everyone in the hang, they all thought it was a rad idea. The word rad was very big in the 1980s. They were like, that's rad. You should throw it. And so they egged me on and they called me a sissy and they dared me and they called me a wuss until finally I gave in. And so I pulled myself to my feet and I edged my way towards the quadrangle. And I leant back And I cocked my elbow and I hurled my rotten orange into the heavens. Now, as I did that, there were two things that I was unaware of in that moment. The one was that the wind that day was blowing from the east. I did not know that. (laughs) The other thing that I didn't know was that at the western end of the quadrangle, was the hang of Danny Cox. Danny Cox was the most feared guy at the entrance high. He was kind of like an orc from one of those Hobbit movies, but uglier (laughs) and meaner. Danny Cox was a psychopath. And as my putrid orange went high into the air, it slowed and then it stalled. And as it stalled, it drifted ever, ever westward. And then as gravity began to take full effect, it accelerated at 9.8 metres per second per second. Right at Danny Cox. It hit Danny in the second worst place you can imagine. Right where his head meets his neck. 
And this meant that not only did he get covered in all of that filthy grey pulp, not only did his face get covered, but also his back and all of his friends and most of the nearby suburbs. (laughs) There was only one thing I could do. I bolted. (laughs) I went straight to the one place that Danny had probably never been in our school, had probably never even heard of in our school. I went to the library. And I didn't come out for three years. (laughs) And it was all because I'd been cowed into submission by this desire I had to fit in. Because it's an incredibly powerful desire, isn't it? We all want to be part of the crowd. And yet even the most confident of us has this feeling that maybe I'm not. Everyone else here is an insider. Everyone else here knows all the rules but I'm the outsider. That's how peer pressure works, isn't it? It's not just that 10 different people are egging you to throw on the orange. It's that the group is telling you to do it, the group that you want to be part of. And if they all came to you, 10 separate people, you could probably resist. But now when the group commands, it's almost impossible. Now, you know what's funny? This happens in churches as much as anywhere else. When your group happens to be the Christian group, you try as hard as you can to to fit in, even if you're not sure you are. So that there'll often be people in churches and in Christian groups and youth groups who, of all things, aren't even quite sure that they're a Christian. Oh, sure, I go to church. I grew up in youth group, heard hundreds of Bible talks, I've been on camps. But if you ask me exactly what Christianity is about and am I one, just not quite sure. And I'm too embarrassed to say because everyone else here is clearly a Christian and everyone else here thinks that I'm a Christian and so we stay quiet. Well, look, tonight right at the very beginning of the year is a talk to put us out of our agony. Tonight is a very basic passage and in the passage that we're looking at tonight, John tells us exactly what the Christian message is, the very heart of it, and how to become a Christian. And ultimately, it's very simple. John boils the Christian message down to three words that you can see on your outline there. You want to have a look in sentence number five. He says, the message that we have heard from him, and the him there is Jesus, the message we've heard from him and declare to you is, God is light. That is what Christianity is all about. God is light. But what on earth does that mean? What does it mean? How is God light? Is God light because he's not heavy? No. It's about God's character. God's light in that his character is light, which is already different to the way we tend to think about good and bad, isn't it? Usually when we think about good and bad, we think about actions, the things I do. That's how we measure good and bad. We, we don't think so much about character because the way the world thinks us, tells us to think about good and bad is what I do. So stealing, that's bad. Murder, that's bad. Rape is bad. And, and good, well, good is helping and good is telling the truth and, and good is giving. We think good and bad is all about what you do. And we'll see why we like that in a minute. But right here, we can see that God's interest, uh, John's interested in God's character. It's not that God does light. It's that God is light. And basically what that means is that God's character is pure. God is clean. 
God's character is loving. God's character is true. In a sense, to say that God's light is to say that God is everything that is pure and good and he is nothing that's bad. Because that's what the next bit says, isn't it? Look in sentence five again. He says, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. See, not only is God light, he has absolutely no darkness, which is a really powerful thing to say because, you see, John follows up the positive statement with a negative one. And when you add the negative statement to the positive, you completely cut off all the alternatives. So think about this sentence for a minute, a sentence that Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What's Jesus saying there? Well, Jesus is saying he is the way to heaven. He's saying he's God's truth and he's saying he's God's life for us. That's what Jesus is saying. I am the way, the truth and the life. But when you think about it, that doesn't mean there's not another way to heaven, does it? There could be, Jesus could just be a way to heaven and there are lots of ways to heaven. That's what a lot of people think, isn't it? Jesus could be just saying that he's a way until he adds the next bit. Until he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. See, when Jesus adds that negative, he cuts off all the alternatives. I am the way to God. There are no other ways at all. I am the truth about God. There is no other truth you can know about God except through me. I am the life. You see how the negative works. It cuts out the ambiguity. It makes crystal clear what you're saying. And John does that here. He says, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. You see what he's saying about God? God is 100% pure, pristine, clear, shiny, white goodness. There's no blemish in his character. He's perfect and he's pure. That's what he's saying. God has no sin. Which, if you're a bit like me, is kind of disconcerting, isn't it? Because it raises a question about me. If God is all light and there's no darkness in God at all, what about me? Well, then it kind of depends, doesn't it? It depends how I measure myself. I mean, if I measure myself by my actions, which is what we like to do, I might be able to kid myself that I'm pretty light. I mean, think about all the things that I haven't done. I've never murdered anyone, so I'm pretty light there. I've never raped anyone. I, 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 I mean, sure, I, I sconed a guy in the head with a rotten orange, but that could actually be construed in a positive light. I was doing the world a favor when I did that. You could almost call it I'm a saint. You see, if I look at my actions, you could say I'm, well, I haven't done much wrong. That's not how God measures himself, is it? You see, what about my character? What about my thoughts? What about my desires? What about the things that I never actually show anyone else, all the skeletons in my character closet? Well, I'm not so light there, am I? I certainly couldn't say that I have no darkness in me at all. Now, the fact is, God and I are different. God is perfect. 
I'm not. We are what is called sinful. Another way of thinking about us is we're kind of mixed. I don't know if you've discovered that about people, but we're mixed. We have good traits and we have bad traits. We have good days and we have bad days. I can be generous and kind. I can be loving. I can be forgiving. But I can also be jealous and greedy and angry and envious and proud. All those things are in my character as well. And my guess is they're in yours too. What that means is it raises a pretty awful question. How can I and you have a relationship with God? If he's perfect and I'm not, how can we have a relationship with each other? How can we deal with this problem of sin? Look, right there is the crux of Christianity. The whole point of Christianity is how a perfect, pure God can have a relationship with people like us who are all stained by sin in our character. Christianity is all about dealing with our sin. And in this passage, John shows us the way. John gives us the great solution to sin. But before we look at that solution, he also shows us two dodgy strategies that almost all of us try. And they never work. And so we ought to have a look at these dodgy strategies so that we understand the right one better. Have a listen to the dodgy strategies and see how you might have done both of these. The first dodgy strategy for dealing with sin is just to sweep the whole thing under the covers. That is, you call yourself a Christian, you go to church, you do all the Christian-y kinds of things, but you never actually do anything about sin at all. You just stay living the way you were. You can see this one in sentence six. Have a look. He says, if we claim to have fellowship with God and yet walk in darkness, we lie and we don't live by the truth. See the strategy? You claim to have fellowship with God. You claim to be a Christian, but just keep living like you used to do. Your character stays dark. You become an undercover sinner. Now, that's really common. I was an undercover sinner for a whole year after I first heard the gospel. I heard the gospel in the beginning of year 12. I came across a whole bunch of Christians. I really like the idea of going to heaven. I like the idea of my new friends at church. I like the idea that God was going to forgive me. What I didn't particularly like was actually being like God. I didn't particularly like the idea of getting rid of my sin. I actually quite enjoyed the sins that I was committing. And so for about a year, I said that I was a Christian I spoke like a Christian. I went to church like a Christian. I even led our church's youth group thinking I was a Christian. But the thing is, underneath, nothing had actually changed. I was still walking like the same non-Christian I'd always been. I was still getting drunk. I was still taking drugs. I was still fooling around with my girlfriend. And look, maybe my story is not so different to yours at that point. Have you been an undercover sinner for undercover non-Christian for years? Everyone thinks you're a Christian, but you actually know you're not. Look what John says in sentence six. He says, if we claim to have fellowship with God and yet still walk in darkness, we lie and we don't live by the truth. See, the fact is, I actually wasn't a Christian. 
because I still walked in darkness. My character was still dark. But the thing is, you can't fool God. God knows who has a real relationship with him and who doesn't. So the first dodgy strategy is just to try and sweep it under the covers. The second way is just as sneaky. It's to deny you're even a sinner at all. Have a look in sentence 8. He says, if we claim to be without sin, well, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. See, that's what a lot of people do. They say, look, I'm not actually a bad person. I mean, sure, I've made mistakes. I've done a few things I regret, but I'm not a bad person. Surely God will let me into heaven. Now, the way we get away with that, John says, is that we deceive ourselves in sentence eight. He says that we deceive ourselves. Basically, what we do is we turn a blind eye to all of our faults. We kind of suspend the rules of logic. So we go, look, I am not a liar. I just happen to lie pretty much every day. And I'm not a thief. It's just that sometimes I don't tell the tax department about the money that I earn from babysitting. And and I'm not hateful. It's just that a lot of people are really hard to like. You see, we deceive ourselves by ignoring the evidence. I'm about to do a gross generalization, but we tend to look at ourselves the way guys tend to look in the mirror. We have an even spread of males and females in my house. Three guys, three girls, which, and one bathroom, which means that I haven't been to the toilet by myself for about 11 years now. <laughs> have you ever watched a guy and a girl look into the mirror? It can be an incredible eye-opener. When a girl looks into the mirror, this is a gross generalization, but work with me on it. When a girl looks into the mirror, my experience is that girls get right up close so that you can see the bottom of every single pore and you look from every single angle. It's kind of like an episode of CSI. When a guy looks into the mirror, we go for a different approach. Basically, we find the one angle in dim lighting that works best kind of like this, blue steel, and then we freeze. And then you back out of the room thinking, yeah, <laughs> I'm hot. We look at our hearts the way a guy looks in a mirror. We pick our angle. I'm a good friend. I'm a nice guy. And then we stop looking. But look, if I'm honest, when I look into my heart, down into the bottom of it, there's actually more than enough evidence to say that I'm a liar. I'm hateful. I get jealous and a whole bunch more. And if I deny that in verse 8, John says, I'm just kidding myself. But I'm also doing something much worse. I'm calling God a liar. So look there in sentence 10, he says, if we say we haven't sinned, we make God out to be a liar. And his word has now a place in our hearts. See, the fact is, God tells us that we've sinned. He tells us in the Old Testament. He tells us in the New Testament. In fact, that was pretty much the whole point of the Old Testament. And when we say that we're good people, that we haven't sinned, we're kind of making God out to be a liar. So pretending to be a Christian while we're still walking in darkness, living the way we used to, and denying that we sin at all, both of them are dodgy strategies and neither of them actually get us a relationship with God. But thankfully, there is a right strategy here. 
It's a twofold strategy in verses 9 and 7. We'll check verse 9 first. Have a look. Verse 9, he says, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, and He'll forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, the first thing we need to do about sin, this thing that keeps us from being in relationship with God, is confess it. Now, not to a priest. The priest isn't the one that we sinned against. Now we confess it to God. It's just like any relationship when you think about it. When you've done the wrong thing, you admit it. So one of the great crimes in our house is to leave the car on empty. Have you had that experience? It's the absolute pits. You jump into the car, you're running late, you've got five minutes to be somewhere, and just as you pull out of the driveway, the little red light starts beeping that says you've got a kilometer, 10 meters to drive before the whole thing dies. So the rule in our family is you never leave the car with the light on. That's a rule. Death. Well... But look, sometimes it's just too hard to get petrol. Sometimes I go out and I haven't got any money. Sometimes I, I just don't happen to drive past a petrol station that I notice. Sometimes it's just a zombie apocalypse. It's just the way things are. There are all sorts of perfectly valid reasons. And Emma will come and she'll say to me, did you happen to leave the car with the, the petrol light on? And at that point, I've got a choice. My choice is I can deny it and hope that Emma doesn't realise that none of the children are old enough to drive. <laughs> or I can admit it. Now, if I want a relationship with this woman, what am I going to do? Deny, deny, no, no. I'm going to admit it, aren't I? It's the only sensible thing to do. And it's the same with God. If we want a relationship with God... One of the very first steps is that we just say to him, God, I've done the wrong thing. I know your character's perfect and I know that mine's not. I know that I'm selfish and I'm jealous and I'm hateful and I know that I've rebelled against you. And look what God does when we do that. Look in sentence nine again. He says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive our sins. See, that's how we deal with this problem of sin. We confess it. And when we admit our flaws to God, He forgives us. We do it all the wrong way. We keep trying to hide them and we deny them, but it never works. It's like trying to keep a big beach ball underwater. You keep it under for a little while, it pops up again. I'm not a liar. Oops, there's another lie. But God really deals with it. He deals with sin in the only permanent way possible, he forgives it. He says, I can see you've lied. I can see that you've hated people. I can see that you're jealous. I can see the sexual immorality. I see everything in your heart. But I forgive you. Isn't that an incredible solution? Doesn't that make so much more sense? It means I can stop pretending. I don't have to pretend to you that I'm a good person. I've told lies. I've thought terrible things. Just this morning on the phone, I was very mean to someone who worked for my internet service provider. You might say it was justified. I thought it was pretty justified too. 
but I was mean. But God says, if you confess your sins, if you come clean, admit it, he will be faithful and just and forgive them. And then when God forgives them, you know, something amazing happens. God begins to change our character. Look in sentence 7. He says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with each other and the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, purifies us from all sin. You see, once God forgives us, he starts to do something amazing. He starts to change us. He changes our character to be like his character. So that instead of hating, we begin to love. Instead of stealing, we begin to become generous. Instead of lying, we start to tell the truth. God actually changes us so that we can walk in the light with him. Now, that's not to say that Christians are perfect and never sin. If you live with a Christian, you'll know that that's not true at all. Everyone still sins, but it's about our character. Once God forgives us, he begins to change us to become more like him. You see, God really does deal with our sins. We fluff about hiding them and denying them. God gets straight to the issue. The way to deal with sin is to confess it, get it forgiven, and then God will start to change us. Really, it's about one little word. And it's a word that's in both sentence 7 and sentence 9. Can you see it? It's the word purify. Because you see, when you become a Christian, God purifies you. He takes our character, all stained with sin, and he washes them clean. That's what purifying is. It's to wash something. It's to scrub it, to get rid of all the dirt, to get rid of all the filth. In our case, it's all the things that make our character dark instead of light. God washes our character and when they're clean, he starts to make our characters like his. And the detergent God uses to wash our character is Jesus' blood. See their sentence seven again? He says, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. That's how we get clean. Jesus' blood. Because, you know, the amazing thing about Jesus was he was God's son. He was God the son. And he was perfect and pure in every way. Jesus was light. And Jesus became a man and he died on the cross for us. And there, his blood, his death, paid for everything that makes us impure. It was a swap. Jesus lived perfectly, yet he died to pay for our hatred, to pay for our jealousy, to pay for our greed, all the things that stain our character. We were guilty. Jesus was perfect, but he died in our place so that God can say, you no longer have any stains. You're clean now. Jesus has washed your guilt away and then God starts to change us to be like Jesus. You see, ultimately, Christianity has a very simple message. God is pure. We're not. But we don't ignore it and we don't try and hide it no, we admit it. And God forgives us and cleanses us by Jesus' blood. 
That's the plain message of Christianity. But you know, it's a message that needs a response. How are you going to respond to God's message? How are you going to respond to the idea that in your character, you're not perfect? How are you going to respond to the idea that Jesus died to pay for your imperfection? How are you going to respond to the idea that God says, I want you to admit it and I will forgive you? Because look, I want to say, grab hold of it, embrace it, believe what God has said. I became a Christian on the 16th of February, 1989. I didn't grow up as a Christian. It was the best decision I've ever made. I never regretted it for an instant. And so I'd want to say, believe God's message. Trust it. Trust that Jesus died to pay for your sins and trust Jesus enough to run your life for you. That's what we're on about here at Uni Church. So if you're not a Christian yet, or if you're not quite sure, why not do this? Why not make the decision to check Jesus out? In a lot of cases, in a talk like this, someone at the end of it would say, why not become a Christian tonight? And it might be that you're actually ready to become a Christian tonight. We'd love to talk to you about it. But will you commit to actually checking Christianity out? Here at Uni Church, we run this awesome thing called life. Life's a great way of checking out Jesus. I think you're about to see a video on it. I'll let them play the video. So my sister, Olivia, told me about life. She suggested that I should go to life. I was like, okay, yeah, I should definitely go to life. She set up for me to meet two guys there to help me just settle in, I guess. I'm Jono, um, studying surveying at university, and I just ride bikes and I go surfing. First night at life, I rocked up, walked straight past everyone looking for uh, the two guys that were meant to meet me there. Probably shouldn't mention who they were, Zach and Doug. They weren't there, and as soon as other people there noticed, they came straight up to me and introduced themselves and just made me feel welcome, and it was a great feeling. It was unexpected. I ended up meeting new people straight away and felt welcome just through that, so no, it, was, it was a good night. Life was definitely good for me because it enabled me to go deeper into those questions that I was pondering on and to then build my relationship with God through that. The food at life, everyone mentions the food, it is definitely nice, it's very good, but the talks are also good, so it's sort of a double whammy of goodness. <laughs> Zach and Doug, how about that? <laughs> life is brilliant. I can say that because I actually don't run life, it's, it's run by the mission team here at church. It's fantastic, it's friendly, it's relaxed, it's fun, and it's clear as a way of helping you to check out Jesus. I don't think there's a better way to be able to make up your mind than life. And so if you're not sure about this Christianity thing, and you're thinking, well, tonight's moved me that bit closer, but I still want to, why don't you sign up for life? I think we've all got cards. Um, all you need to do is write down, um, I want to go to life, and someone else will make it all easy for you. There'll even be people who will turn up to meet you and say hello. But look, if you're a Christian already, we'd love for you to join us in walking with God. That's how this passage describes being a Christian, isn't it? It's walking with God in the light. Uni is a brilliant time to grow as a Christian. And uni church is a really fun place to do it. 
One of the things about uni church is it may be different to your home church. It probably is, and that your home church uh, has people of all different age groups. Groups that may be bigger than this, and may be smaller than this. Here at uni church, we've got a whole bunch of people of the same age, all going through the same kinds of issues, wrestling with the same kinds of decisions, the same kind of ideas, and we all basically grow up together over the three or four years that you're here. We all help each other to make those decisions. It's also a great place to bring your friends who don't know about Jesus. And if you miss your family, we've also got the two family churches that have kids full of snot and all those kinds of things. And you can go along to that one as well. I'd love for you to join us. To help you to figure out whether or not you'd want to join us, we run these things called newish groups that I mentioned earlier. Newish groups um, are a group that are for people who are new here at church to help you to figure out what we're on about and to grow as a Christian. They've got some old heads in it, some people who are in usually third and fourth year, around second, third and fourth year, who know the Bible well, but also a bunch of people who are new, who are in their first year at uni church, which means that even as you begin to dig into the Bible, you start to build a friendship group at the same time. And so if you're a Christian and you're looking for a church, why not, again, you can put it on the card, say, I want to join a newish group, and someone will join you. But putting all that aside, what I really want to say is, we'd love for you to join us in just walking with God over the next three or four years and seeing how he's going to change you, seeing what he's going to do in your life. I'm going to talk to God now. Will you join me? God, your light. You've never sinned. You never will. You're perfect. You're pure. You're completely just and righteous. You never lie. You are absolutely perfect. And we're not. We look reasonable enough from the outside, respectable enough and likable enough. But you and we know that in our character we're pretty mixed where you're not. And we know that that puts a barrier between you and us, this thing called sin. And we thank you that you're the one who deals with it. That we don't need to pretend that we haven't done it. Instead, all we need to do is confess. And so we confess, God, we've done the wrong thing. We've been the wrong kind of people. And we thank you that Jesus has died on our behalf. We thank you that he shed his blood that washes the slate clean for us. We thank you that he took our punishment, that he died our death. We thank you for that great swap that great exchange on the cross, him in our place taking punishment. We thank you that when we trust him, that's not the end of the story. You begin to change us. You begin to make us more like you. We thank you that this is the best news we could ever have. We thank you that it means that our sin is dealt with. And Father, we pray for those of us who are still wrestling with what this is all about. We pray that as we look into your word, as we talk with your people, that you'll give us clarity. And Father, we pray for those of us who are just coming to uni, who are Christian already. We pray these are the best years of our lives. We pray that we'll have a ball. 
that will grow as Christians like crazy and that you'll use us to talk to people about Jesus and that we'll make loads of Christian friends. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.